At the end of the 20th century, American high school student Lainey Boggs is being molded to be prom queen, but instead finds true love as a magical opportunity for people to get to know themselves. Meanwhile, in France, two middle-aged men feel failed by their atomized society. They yearn for love, but the true possibilities perhaps lie in the ocean between the two parts of this double vision. I'm here with Default Friend, who has an advice column on Substack, defaultfriend.substack.com. And so we're here talking about the romantic comedy, She's All That, and Michelle Hollebeck's The Elementary Particles, or in um, England, it was translated as Atomize. And so these come out uh, like around half a year apart. So The Elementary Particles is mid-1998, and then She's All That is the beginning of 1999. And Elementary Particles in particular has this much broader scope, but looking back at since like the sexual revolution in the 70s to where things are now but they're both interested in the state of romance and how people understand themselves and themselves in relationship to others in sort of romantic pairings and, and so on and so the very excited for this. This is sort of, you know, right up your alley and very ex excited to really delve into these two. I feel like I'm going to get a bit of like a, I don't know, like a master class and something here. But maybe to, to start, I was interested in this, this one little quote that comes up where it says, as a teenager, Michelle believed that suffering conferred dignity on a person. Now he had to admit he had been wrong. What conferring dignity on people was television. And so, you know, these two works are, are kind of flip sides of each other. One, the novel is a little more sort of a, a bitter take. And then, you know, the rom-com is a very positive view. But what I, what I thought was interesting there is like, you know, it, it sort of takes the sort of visual media seriously in a, in a way, because that's what lays out the values and the sort of understand social understanding of the society. So I was interesting, you know, maybe get delving into a bit at first, like she's all that as this much more sort of positive popularized mainstream maybe a bit romanticized but like this like aspirational view of like what romance is like at you know the end of the 20th century it's interesting that we're, we're starting with television because what i think is often missed about she's all that is that it's critiquing this sort of like mtv youth culture that was really popular in the 90s and that was also seen as like kind of alternative taylor vaughn who is the love interest of zach seiler who then turns around and makes you know Lainey Boggs, you know, he wants to make her prom queen. She leaves him for a reality TV star who had been on The Real World. And then he in turn dumps her when he goes on to Real World Road Rules. Um, that's actually kind of a mouthful. I didn't, <laughs> never said that out loud before. So it, it's really, it's really interesting how like, and it's even though it it is sort of optimistic and sort of romanticized, it is also critiquing what it thought was superficial and very shallow. Right, yeah. So I was surprised with this where I, I feel like I've almost definitely seen scenes of She's All That, but I, I don't think I've ever seen it in full. But I recognize so many things like parodied very, very closely, like scene by scene in Not Another Teen Movie. And, you know, so it's, so it's like one of those things where it's interesting to see like the source of that. But then also it's interesting because She's All That is already poking fun at a lot of these things and, and very self-aware of, of that absurdity you're saying like you know it's already mocking something else but then it becomes its own thing yeah I, I think it's because I'm trying to think of like maybe like a modern analogy of this and kind of I'm kind of coming up on a blank maybe like to, it, to me it sort of strikes me as like say like a TikTok if like a TikTok influencer was like mocking the Kardashian right like the TikTok influencers buying into the same you know schema but they're slightly more DIY which makes it like a like very you know it's a very funny juxtaposition with she's all that and it, it the other thing about she's all that is like it kicked off this whole wave of very similar teen movies there's like i mean i think it had a not a bigger impact you know when it was all said and done but like there was more copycat movies of she's all that in like you know the immediate wake, wake of its release than there were of you know the original like john hughes movies in the 80s like you know, we we got whatever it take uh never been kissed they, i mean what was what was another one drive me crazy i think it was called and it was just like non-stop for like three years and i think that's also why another not another teen movie you know took it on because it was the most iconic one and it made such an impact right yeah and we, so what's interesting with the story is you know 
in contrast to so the LMRA particles is looking at these two half brothers who are you know they're they're not entirely unsuccessful with women but you know in the grand scheme of things they don't really find perfect satisfaction but the they're sort of on the they get the sort of short end they they feel of the sexual revolution where they feel like everyone else is out there having like orgies and finding love and so on and, and they can't really get either of those things in the way that they imagine they should and so it's about these really sort of deeply lonely and often bitter young men whereas she's all that focuses in on the most popular guy in school and it's about taking what is you know on, on the surface i guess supposed to be a kind of comically undesirable girl who the goal is to somehow get her to be prom queen and she is like the the joke option of like now this is a real challenge and it's supposed to be like about the prospect of of even her for finding love. Which has always been like, I think like a sort of the hardest thing to believe about the movie because she isn't even, when Zach and his friends are going through the different options, I, I feel like of the of the different girls they're, they're rattling off, Lainey Boggs isn't even the weirdest one. Um, it, it's like, a, it's a very, it, it, watching it now, you know, as opposed to having watched it in 1999 it's it that almost feels like it's the least important part of the movie in a way i feel like what's what what st stood out watching it now is like zach is really the the interesting the interesting character like he he in some ways i feel like is a complete opposite of uh bruno and michelle in the elementary particles because you know he's multi-dimensional he's good looking he's intelligent you know his big problem about the movies He's accepted to like every Ivy League school and like has to figure out how to tell his dad he doesn't want to go to Dartmouth. And then he also is like capable of forming this like deep and romantic relationship with a woman, which both Bruno and Michelle are variously, you know, struggle with throughout throughout the book. And then, you know, like Bruno is only able to sort of when he's given up, when he's reached his like middle age and it he's sort of reached the end of the line and the loneliness is too much. And it's completely overtaken him. And he settles for what he seems to like recognize as like a bottom of the barrel option in Christian, which I, I think is like a, a really, it was like a very cynical, very cynical thing, his attachment to her. Yeah, the, there's a very depressing relationship there where it's framed as, you know, they're both really kind of, you know, at the end of their romantic and sexual lives. And they, they both kind of see themselves as running, having run out of options and knowing that, you know, if anything happens with this relationship, that's it. You know, this is their last, you know, time anyone will ever be interested in them. And so they, they you know, do end up really kind of affectionate toward each other. They come together in uh, fairly loving ways. It's sort of very bleak at, uh, at many times, but, you know, they, they kind of support each other through like their middle, late middle age. And, you know, as you're saying, you know, with with She's All That, you know, on the surface, the, the plot is about remaking this girl who, you know, is kind of this uh, isolated artsy girl but ultimately the, the person who really gets changed is zach and i think the a big appeal isn't even necessarily so much this idea of like oh even she could find love but this dynamic of seeing this romantic relationship as something where it's like mutually sort of a sort of source of mutual growth and they i think you know where the bruno and christiane's relationship fails is they're kind of there for each other's sort of basis needs, but you know, they both kind of just spiral downward. And the Christian's fate is is one of the sort of bleakest moments in the book where so she, you know, they, they end up just going to these constant like orgies and gangbangs and she ends up being like paralyzed and, you know, decides like, I don't want to be a burden. So I'm just going to throw myself down these stairs. It, the, the thing that I think, you know, frankly, like disturbed me a lot about Elementary Particles is that it seems like every woman in the book can only like all they care about is seeking validation from men. And there's a lot about, you know, Annabelle, it be goes from this like beautiful, like innocent uh, young woman to someone who feels like she squandered her youth and her beauty, therefore her value on seeking, you know, these different romantic relationships. And finally, 
she's 40 and she's too old and she, her her life also and in you know in a suicide attempt and it it just seems like they all like there exists every single character every single female character their whole life hinges on their place on the the, the sexual marketplace which you know actually like interestingly feels true of she's all that as well but it, it's a little bit less bleak you have like you, know, you have Lainey who she eventually gets you know joy and satisfaction from it and then you have on the other hand Taylor who reminded me a lot of Annabelle who you, you know forsakes love forsakes like the innocence of an adolescent relationship for validation from a more alpha guy but it's it she's all that leaves like a much better taste in your mouth <laughs> about it the elementary particles where it's just uh, like I mean like what's worse than no longer being able to sell yourself to dudes <laughs> nothing you may as well kill yourself which I mean, happens three different times in this book yeah I mean I think I mean one of the the things that I think helps keep she's all that very positive is that it's focused in on you know the sort of teen romance and so you know they have their whole lives ahead of them so there's there's a lot of possibility there whereas the there's that the sort of like dark fantasy of the wall and elementary particles right where it's like you know these these women end up with this point where they have nothing going for them nothing to live for which is parallel with sort of michelle's vast long-term scientific project which is that he ends up kind of replacing humanity with uh, this scientific version that's like refined and and doesn't have this sort of ugliness of like of what he sees as you know human sexuality and and so on that you just like clone and you don't have to deal with like all the elements of life that he had sort of struggled with and failed in and there's there's a real wild kind of like revenge fantasy element to the novel in that where it's like in the end everyone else had like kind of out beat him in the sexual marketplace but then he destroys the whole sexual marketplace forever and kind of like wins out by replacing the whole game. It's kind of, I don't know, you know, very horrific in a way. I didn't see it quite the same way. I felt like Michelle didn't really care. Like it seemed that he was described as like good looking, you know, if, you know, he had the potential of being capable, but opted out because he was so emotionless and unfeeling. And like, he ends up, he has this beautiful girlfriend, Annabelle, when he's a teenager and then he ends up losing his virginity at like, it's implied like 35 or something. So I, I didn't feel like he was rejected by it so much as like he re- was repulsed by it at best, you know, if, you know, maybe possibly just apathetic towards it. I got the, the sense of like, in terms of like an overlying message that everything has been so degraded and this is, you know, this is best manifest, you know, it's it manifested through the sexual revolution. And, you know, the, the, the fact of the matter is humans are, are best when they're sort of governed by these moral absolutes. And when they're not, everything is kind of nihilistic and it's not, you know, everything kind of breaks down. You end up sex becomes just another product you can buy at, you know, at best you might end up like Bruno and Christian using it as a proxy for connection with other people and a proxy for community. But even then it's kind of abject and grotesque. So the logical conclusion to this you know, no holds barred sexual liberation is just cut out everything that makes you human at all, because that's the only way those two things can be compatible. But in your human state, you need to be you need a hierarchy, you need sort of a more rigid morality. Right. Yeah. I mean, so he, he is he's caught up in these images of death and decay, I think in, in a way is one of his main drives, whereas Bruno is much more in the caught up in this desire for I guess sexual depravity and you know eventually checks himself into a mental hospital after physically coming on to a student. And part of it is is that sexual dynamic going on, but I, I think you are right that there. One of Michelle's big drives is more these other other elements where it's like humans are because of cer- certain genetic qualities or something like in- inherently mortal, and so you have to like upend that whole thing to replace that. And I think there's there's something going on with that, which you know might also be part of his trouble forming relationships is his obsession with this idea of like you know everyone's going to die and decay and you have that really kind of brutal image of the grandmother skeleton and so there there was that there's also so the dynamic of the so their shared mother 
is this hippie woman, right? And so she, she has children by these these two different fathers, and they kind of go off. And so you have this broken family dynamic that's sort of part of what sort of sets off their, their different worldviews and their sense of this atomized society. But it comes up at one point, this idea that, you know, hippies are actually not accepting that, you know, you 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 have to actually like be one and, and live that life fully. Whereas middle managers, there is actually the more accepting path because you could just dress as that. And there's something really I thought shallow there, but but it has this nicety that's appealing to to Bruno, for instance, where it's like, well, if, you know, you can fit in if you just sort of, you know, fill, fill in these things. And th- there's something nice about that idea of like, well, you know, clear out all this human suffering and don't really worry so much about w- what that looks like. It's just like fit this mold and everything's better. And th- that's the kind of what's going on in parts of She's All That, where it's like, you know, just lose the paint covered overalls and the glasses and then everything's better. I, yeah, I think that's a that's a really, a really interesting comparison. It's it's funny because that, that particular passage stood out to me too, but because I felt like She's All That was really buying into the myth that these sort of alternative scenes are more accepting then the you know for she's all that the the equivalent to the managerial life would be the the preppies at their high school i i would imagine and you know it, it it's it's funny that that this theme comes up in in both work and it's i guess it you know what maybe it doesn't buy into the the myth that the alternative scene is more accepting because does zach ever really feel comfortable when he goes to the performance art show like he feels very out of place like he can't it seems like there's nothing he can really do to make himself part of that scene like if he were to wear like a, a paint splatter t-shirt he still wouldn't be part of that scene the hacky sack performance he does doesn't make him belong more whereas for Lainey eventually she fits in by you know plucking her eyebrows and taking her glasses off so that I hadn't I hadn't considered that it's interesting. I mean, one thing I was thinking of also with Lainey and the art world is there's this kind of, I don't know, I guess it's supposed to be a happy moment at the end where the art teacher comes up and says, you know, I, I've just told all the art schools you applied to that you like your work is like you just did is some of the best I've seen in like a long time. And so whatever is like working for you, keep with that. And that's part of what gets her to rethink like, oh, maybe I should be with Zach. He had that good influence on me. And I don't know, I don't necessarily want to like judge the quality of either of her artworks. But like, so she starts out kind of just wildly throwing paint at the canvas and makes like these weird things. And within her art class, she's doesn't fit in where you know the her two classmates actually go up and tell her to kill herself and and so she only fits in in that really sort of out there performance art world which which zach is quite uncomfortable and it's a very you know weird performance also maybe something to be said there where it's like the performance is some weird thing about a fetus right but you know in the end she ends up doing this like kind of out there but this like kind of collage style that had been sort of fairly like standard by the late 90s and that that's her sort of breaking point and so I, you know I always I kind of felt like I don't know it's not, it's not like she became a, a better artist necessarily she you know it's it's that's and one of the clearer points of like conformity in a way where it's like I don't know may, maybe it is supposed to come off as like a strictly better work but it was one of those weird things where it's like implying that she the work she was doing before wasn't as good or maybe I guess maybe just wasn't really what art schools were looking for I didn't really know what to make of the art sensibilities there it's it's funny that you say that because I never I never got that from the movie I always thought that the art teacher learned to accept her work and I didn't really notice a change. It's interesting that you bring up the the classmates, though, because one thing that stood out to me about that was there's that scene where she's at the party and the one of the, the, the women who had told her to kill herself is throwing up in the bathroom and she's helping her clean up and, you know, compose herself and she's super drunk. And she makes this like really like I was surprised. I'm always surprised by this comment because she doesn't just gesture at Lainey's lack of popularity, but she gestures at her being poor. And so I don't know. There's like there's there's something about about that that like I mean like just really stood out to me that there is this class element involved in the art world too between like you know schools being difficult to attend but then also the the alternative woman who's bullying her being this this rich girl 
who, you know, now she's cleaning up her puke. Right. And there's a, there's an interesting dynamic there where it's like she's being nice in, in coming in and helping her clean up her puke. But then it, it comes in as like almost parallel to people elsewhere make fun of her her father because he cleans out pools. And so she ends up kind of like repeating that sort of action. And so it's seen not as nice, but like just this like lower class, like that's her station. And yeah, I mean, it's interesting because part of what it makes her this kind of uh, loserly, undesirable, you know, girl in class is that, you know, she works at this food place and has to wear this silly hat and stuff. And, you know, it's a reasonable, you know, low wage, but like, you know, basic teenage kind of job. But you know, she's but basically she's in that position where she has to work this sort of low wage job and isn't like, you know, otherwise like paid for or, you know, doesn't have a connection to work in like a family member's company or something. But, you know, it's like one of those things where it's like that's not really so weird and shocking and like the lowest of the low that you could have. I wonder if she's all that makes more sense if you like view it through a more class focused lens, because now that I'm thinking about it, maybe they don't even call her ugly. Because when Zach, so when they're making the bet about turning Lainey Boggs into a prom queen, Zach says something to the effect of like, fat, I can handle, weird boobs, I can handle, scary and inaccessible, I, you know, whatever, he, he can't do that. That's a, that's a step too far. And then we see her and, you know, she's not that ugly. She's just disheveled. And there's constantly throughout the film, there's these comments about her father, her after school job. So maybe if you view She's All That through the lens of like, all right, you're at this elite public school in, they're like, they're somewhere in California, I'm assuming they're in Beverly Hills. And then she's like, you know, considered riffraff or, you know, undesirable because she's poor. I mean, maybe that's really part of, you know, that's a big part of the movie that people assume it's, it's, you know, Pygmalion with the focus on look, but really it, it is about her being this, you know, lower class girl. And that's the more important feature. And that's and more than the obvious reason of like this movie wouldn't sell if they had you know made the the leading actress uglier. But also like that's not the important part at all. It's that Zach is elite in all these other ways. Right. And you know, I mean, the challenge isn't so much like oh, make her over and make her beautiful because that's sort of just taken as a as a given as well, I'll just bring in this makeup and hair person friend and, you know, whatever, an hour or so. I don't know how long they're up there, but like, just make her over. He's, he's not really worried about that part so much. But the challenge is to make her prom queen, which is this wider social status thing, right? People have to vote on it. That's one of the things. And they start bringing in all the clubs to kind of hype her up and, and so on. And, you know, th- there is something, you know, class being one factor in there where it's like the prom king and queen are like the, you know, hyper popular elite uh, of the student body. And she's, yes, yeah, so, so you mentioned de- her described as scary and ex- inaccessible. And so, yes, I don't think it's necessarily that she's ugly as much as this idea that she doesn't try to present as attractive, that she, you know, is, is perfectly content to walk around in these like paint covered overalls and so on is is really just kind of closed off in a way you know when he starts hitting on her obviously that the dynamic between them makes that seem shocking and she's rightfully distrustful but it's also like she's you know not even really i don't know i mean i feel like the the especially after he's like she's she thinks he's there for like homework help or something he's like i'm you know near the top of the class and she's like oh anyway, you know, I don't want to talk to you. And and as much as she's rightfully distrustful at that stage, I feel like she's presented as very overtly antisocial, where part of it is, you know, you have to not just sort of be this desirable like partner in this relationship, but you have to be like widely popular. And that's one of the, I think, challenges in the elementary particles as well, where it's like they really kind of just find these kind of uh, really like half-hearted marriages in the end and you know don't really like succeed in a wider social realm it's not it's not just this like sexual bitterness but they don't really have like social circles or anything and so part of part of the way Michelle kind of wins out in the end is that he has this like acolyte who like worships his findings and like dedicates his life to continuing the that line and, and all of that which is i don't know it's, it's interesting because there's also the, there's also the kids but the then like the, the actual kids are like you know like them kind of 
disconnected off from their parents. It's, it's a society where it's like no one really kind of matters to each other. But she's all that is this look at this this world where, you know, you can have these kind of uh, very kind of positive, you know, friendships and and relationships and things like that and it's just something that you know the the two brothers and the elementary particles are kind of barred from or, or feel that they are well i feel like she's all that is saying that you don't have to like you can fight this atomization of society if you just conform a little bit and then you know if, if you if you just put on the if, if you take off your glasses rather and you you put on the right dress you know you can be part of the synchronized dance to Rockefeller skank too whereas the elementary particles, of course, not being a teen rom-com right, is more like, well, no, this is the way society is. And even if you are participating in the synchronized dance at your, you know, $500,000 prom, you're still deeply alone at the end. You know, it's interesting because I think like this is a conversation that was happening in a lot of like teen centered media at that time. Like, and this is something, and I don't know if I don't hear about this anymore or like, you know, haven't heard about this in a while just because like I'm an adult, but like, I feel like in the nineties, there is this real thing of like, it's the preppies against the misfits and the misfits could have been, you know, whatever category skaters or goths or mall rats or, you know, what have you. And the, the preppies sort of were emblematic of conforming and fitting the group, but you, you had, you had a tribe, whereas you didn't always have, like the, the misfits weren't always portrayed as having a tribe. They were, they were often portrayed as being like a lone wolf or like maybe you had like one really close friend but not, you know, not the same kind of click. So I feel almost that like she's all that is kind of is is, pre- is presenting both and then coming to the conclusion at the end of like you could you could kind of mix and match and and find a middle road. Yeah. So she has uh Lainey has that friend Jesse who's like, you know, this really consistent friend for her. So Zach, right, he has his friend group, but it, it's interesting cuz he his friend group kind of or not his whole group, but his friendship with um was Dean, right, uh, collapses, you know, where where Dean ends up kind of betraying him and trying to steal Lainey and that the, the stealing Dean stealing Lainey is, is sort of weird to me because at first you you think like, oh, he just, you know, he wants to sabotage the bet, but then towards the end, it's like about losing his virginity to her, which seemed was it losing his virginity or, or just simply sleeping with her? Because I thought that was like a weird, a weird turn. It was like unclear, like to what extent she had like accomplished becoming valuable to these popular kids, and then for him to like make this switch and like suddenly want to have sex with her. And it becomes like very important. Like it's more than just spiting Zach. It's also like, you know, completing this act. I thought was like, it's like something about it felt either like not very well thought out or like didn't quite work for me. And it more, it, it didn't work for me more just since like obviously sexually harassing her, but like it didn't work for me because I, I didn't understand what purpose it served in the plot. Yeah, I, I had the same sort of confusion. I think it's, you know, partly it, it is sabotaging the bet, you know, which we find out at the end has these like high stakes where like the person has to go to the graduation naked. But yes, yeah, so I think he does. We'll sit. It's like he's going to take her virginity. And it's, it's I think part of it is is that she has successfully been made to appear attractive enough where, you know, he genuinely desires it. But there's there's also it's it's not like she's so attractive that he's like willing to sabotage his friendship. It, there's 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 something that gets skipped over or rather isn't established where he does you know it's not just that he wants to win the bet and he's like really kind of going at it in a terrible like mean way but it it is very much like he just wants to like really like twist the knife into zach and and see how they never really establish like why that happens there's there was a fight scene in the locker room where they kind of grow distant but i don't really remember what exactly was there it was like he i think he was like judging zach about like taking the whole thing so seriously and like oh you're actually falling for her or something i don't remember what 
what, what exactly happened. But but yeah, it's sort of one of those things that's like for dramatic sake and like, you know, narrative convenience, but isn't really it's one of the least well-developed points in the film. I mean, it's it's possible that they just needed a third act and they weren't sure where to take it. You know, they needed something to create a little bit more tension. Like not only does, you know, she find out that she was a bet and she doesn't win prom queen, but then also you have this anxiety of like, oh shit, is she going to fall for Dean's bullshit? And of course she she does and it's like neatly and very quickly wrapped up. It, it's funny because I, um, I thought for a very long time that there had been a scene where you actually see them in the hotel room and her like pressing that like whistle thing that she does to where she damages Dean's hearing and is it a foghorn I don't know what what those little things are are called but it's actually because there's a similar trope in another teen movie and like it just shows how like impactful she's all that was I was remembering like just a random scene from a movie that had come out a year later that uh, you know was another one of these stories like this one was like Cyrano de Bergerac and it you know same sort of formula of following this this older story modernizing it setting it in a high school I think they just needed to add more tension yeah I mean something something like that but it does show this darker element to everything that's going on where I guess you know part of what's going on is it, it highlights how sort of serious Zach is with Lainey and how he's good for her whereas other guys you know, are really sort of just after sex. And, you know, there's the ultimate idea of it's sort of about them both growing up into this more like adult vision of romance where it's like oh it's it's like this mutually beneficial thing where they actually grow compared to something like if you look at um taylor and brock's relationship where it's like they're both kind of just like very self-absorbed and like kind of like the status of, of having you know a very attractive you know boyfriend or girlfriend and it's like this weird thing where it's like brock is is like obsessed with watching himself on TV and Taylor is kind of just obsessed with being, you know, the sort of uh, popular girl, future prom queen, you know, dating this celebrity. And it's like a new kind of celebrity too. I felt like Taylor and Brock's relationship had the most of, it, it was like most similar to the elementary particles because it was so clearly transactional and then there was also this element of it that it's implicit in the elementary particles it's very explicitly laid out and then of course they can't and she's all that say it in plain English but like this idea that when you're a 17 year old girl you're sort of at the peak of your beauty so you're very valuable based on your youth one thing that I feel like is like totally brushed over which again was very very common in movie like teen media more than just movies tv shows and stuff of that era is like a 25 year old maybe even older in some cases dating a high school student um and I it, it's interesting how that like those dynamics appear in both both work and I also think that it's like very it's very like emblematic of the late 90s I, and I guess you know internationally because you know one's French one one's American right I, I was also interested with with Brock and like and the whole real world thing where Zach has this nightmare at one point that he's in the real world with him and it turns out that the whole thing was Lainey and Taylor as like a joke for this TV show are actually the ones who who place a bet and trick Zach into falling for Lainey you remember this yeah it's like this very like Truman show ass moment yeah it's this weird like moment of unreality in a dream but it's like but it, that is also but that's Brock's actual reality like he was on the show and he's going to be on the follow-up show and and see so, yeah, so this so is the age dynamic but it's also you know part part of it is 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 like uh so, so a couple weeks ago I was talking about clueless right and so there's the one character talks about like oh she you know she doesn't date high school boys she you know aspires to sort of older guys and and so there's an element of of that going on here which you know th that's a you know a few years apart but it's also like you know the celebrity dynamic and there there's an element of that going on in the elementary particles where it's like you know th they both are very unsuccessful with women until later in life when they you know start to achieve things or have money or things and you know that then there's the idea also with bruno's father where he gets a lot of money and like lives this like playboy lifestyle that is you know sort of on a higher age scale than 
you know, Brock dating a high schooler, but there's that the same sort of dynamic there. And there's this idea in the elementary particles about the sort of indulgence in sex as well as other sort of consumer goods and, you know, overeating and things like that, where there's a quote, for instance, about like he would eat bowl after bowl of cornflakes until he felt sick, his stomach felt heavy, he felt almost happy. And there are a lot of sequences like that where it's like people being almost happy where there there are all these things that people either seek out or is sort of thrust on them in the society that is pleasing in the shallowest of senses, but it's not actually, you know, meaningful or empowering or, you know, actually worthwhile. And then and in the end, there's this idea that oh, it's the whole, the book is this dedication to humanity. And what's interesting, what's is said, is suggested that what's interesting with both Michelle and Bruno is how even in in the sort of direst circumstances, humans always sort of are drawn toward the desire for love and the the sort of effort to achieve love. And so I I don't know, there's a very rom-com-y sentiment about that in a way where it's like, you know, all these other things don't really matter. It's but the important thing is is that you you find that like true love and that's the sort of where you get the sort of real meaning in life is and everything else is sort of just filling up on cornflakes until you're sick i also feel like there's there's a sense of like accepting that kind of superficial you know satisfaction especially with bruno and christian and the, the sex club because it seems like there's this recognition that it's very overindulgent and it's again like almost grotesque but at the same time it's presented as like the only time he's in like a functional relationship the only time he's connecting with other people is through this weird like hedonistic lifestyle yeah I mean, so there's, to go back to this dynamic where it's like, you know, middle managers are more accepting than hippies because you can kind of just dress as one. There is the sort of origin point of that relationship where he's at, he's hanging around this whatever camp site, you know, where people are kind of very open and there's different classes and like crafts and things like that. And, but, but there's this weird dynamic where there's, so there's young people that go there and have fun, but then it's like people keep going there and keep going there and it gets kind of the you know the later more that goes on sort of less satisfying it is especially for the women who you know end up kind of sort of left out of of this whole world and and so that's how they end up together as like well you know they'll they'll see each other through to the end and see how that goes and but but then that that later thing where they're going into the the clubs is more this kind of more formally commodified version of that right where it's like it's in these like transactional spaces instead of just like out in nature kind of just people come and go and you do whatever well i think like the you know a a big thing that Michelle is trying to solve, right? Is and it's like mentioned several times throughout the book in this very like removed sociological kind of way is like the emphasis on youth and this idea that you age out of opportunity, that you know, life is for the young. And um, you know, it the most delusional people keep believing that there is a new experience at any, you know, at every corner. I think there's like some line where it's like people will like delude themselves into believing like there's hope until they're 70, 80 years old and only death can free them of it, which I think is like very interesting. And then families are also looked at in this like very cynical way, like all families are broken. And, you know, when they're not, you're constantly looking around for that sense of adventure and thrill. They only trap you and they're in their own way, like very abject and kind of a sham and it kind of like a simulation of what like maybe used to be or could be, but it certainly isn't now. I'm wondering, like, I think like She's All That takes like a also like a kind of cynical view on families, too. I don't think there's like one example and She's All That of like a family that's like functioning and like at all like nourishing or you know like relationships where people are getting anything positive out of it like Lainey is sort of failed by her father and they're like not really parented and Zach is also failed by his father you don't learn anything about his mother Lainey's mother is dead and you know if anything they have these kind of weird fractured relationships with their siblings but that's it yeah I mean I I don't know the, the 
Zach's sister is like this weird afterthought in the film that like you don't really know know anything about. I don't know. I thought that Lainey's family was, you know, obviously so the mother is is gone, but uh, the the father seemed to mean well. There's there's a weird dynamic where it's like he wants the kids to help out in the business and stuff. He's like keeping the younger son up late at night, like trying to teach him different like types of pools and stuff. But, you know, th- there's there's I think elements of what Hollebeck is critiquing in that that family but it, it's it's not didn't come out as unpleasant as as Zach's sort of relationship with his father where it's like his father is shown to be like really miserable and nevertheless wants Zach to repeat all of his foundational life choices and Zach is like really struggling with this thing where it's like you know I've seen how that plays out and it doesn't really look good and and yet there's this pressure to sort of mirror his father's life and there's a weird dynamic with Bruno and his son in the elementary particles where it's like there's one point where he talks about how in a few years his son will be like 16 years old and then his the son will be interested in you know his classmates in high school and at the same time bruno will be lusting after the same young girls and it's this like ultimate destruction of of the family where basically society is at this point where he can't really have this normal functioning relationship with his son because even at this you know within that relationship and at this fast remove bruno still finds himself as as though he's competing with his own son in the sexual marketplace because of his sort of obsession with young girls isn't there a passage also where like annabelle's mother experiences something similar like i might i might be making this up because i I think i might have read something somewhat like similar in character but like where she's like struck by her own daughter's beauty and like at first threatened by it but then like learns to accept it or something to this effect uh maybe i don't really remember that in particular but there is that dynamic of like you know everyone I don't know. There's really like almost no example other than like his brief relationship with his his grandmother. He kind of quite liked uh, in a way, but you know that everyone's is completely like individuated and feel like feels like they're competing with each other. At least that's sort of the perspective that we're given. And and so yeah, I mean, I, I can sort of imagine that dynamic, but I don't remember that line in particular. Yeah, I mean, I got like like the sense that if you know any one of these characters were situated in one like. A clear hierarchy and two like a history or like some kind of like continuous culture they would be a lot happier like that they're just sort of removed from everyone and like no one knows their place explicitly and it's just like a series of humiliations like there is a hierarchy just not an explicit one so like you're constantly humiliated and you're you don't have like there, you know there isn't a place for everything and nothing is in its place so to speak and it, it causes like this like just such great distress yeah there's a passage in the elementary particles that's worth looking at where it's like especially because with with she's all that you know there is that dynamic of you know laney's father wants to sort of pass along the business and zach's father wants him to go to the same university but it's like so children existed solely to inherit a man's trade his moral code and his property this was taken for granted among the aristocracy but merchants craftsmen and peasants also bought into the idea so it became the norm at every level of society that's all gone now i work for someone else i rent my apartment from someone else there's nothing for my son to inherit. I have no craft to teach him. I haven't a clue what he might do when he's older. By the time he grows up, the rules I live by will have no value. He will live in another universe. And, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's so... Even, even when he, like, kind of wants to have some sort of connection with the son, he kind of, like, can't imagine what that would be because he's, he's so convinced this idea that, you know, anything that he knows of value in life, which he sees as not much, is basically, you know, you fast forward 20 years and it's like not going to mean anything. Everything's just going to keep rapidly collapsing or changing or whatever. And in a way, it ends up kind of being true where it's like you end up with this sort of cloning society that, you know, does have very radically different values. But, you know, there's that, that idea of like, you know, wanting to pass things on to your children as this sort of class classical value and you have that that impulse and she's all that but it's like this this dynamic of you know either you're just like this rental class that has nothing to pass on 
or the kids will want to, you know, become their own person and not take them on. There's sort of very different visions there, but I th- I th- it's sort of part of the same dynamic. Well, I, th- I think like what makes, um, you know, monetary particles version of it like so unpalatable is there's no opportunity for the relationship to exist outside of those constraints. Like there, it never even suggests that you could love your own child for no other reason than they're your child or maybe even who they are as a person, which I think in its own ways is sort of cynical, but, you know, at least more hopeful than what we're offered. Um, and she's all that, I get, I mean, I guess she's all, she's all that is also problematic because like you never see an attempt to like, you see the rejection of following your parents' footsteps, but you never see an attempt of, we could have a relationship beyond that. Um, it, it, it simply offers a solution that says you can find happiness outside of the family unit as an individual. But it never goes back and repairs that. Um, and obviously, neither does the elementary particles. Right, yeah. Well, there, there was also this line at the end of She's All That that kind of seemed shockingly relevant to this comparison. I was, I was curious your, your thoughts on where the sort of culmination is, you know, Zach realizes like he, he comes to learn not just who, who Lainey is, but to learn himself a lot more and be happy with himself. And, and so Lainey also has her own growth, but she says, I feel just like Julia Roberts and pretty woman, you know, without the whole hooker thing. Yeah. That's like, that's a, that's a line that stuck as well, but I'm trying to remember how I felt when I first saw Pretty Woman. Because does, I mean, does he come to like love Julia Roberts for who she is? I, I don't even remember. I, I, I remember being like, wow, this is like a kind of like, we're being upset by it, but I don't remember like any strong takeaway. I don't, I don't really know that civics too well either. But just that that that, in, that dynamic is interesting. You know, when you have this novel like coming out a few months before, where it's like this dynamic of coming to love this person for who she is, and you know, I was gonna say like despite her flaws, but one of the things in she's all that is like you know this this sense where you you don't really see any flaws. You just see like obviously you know she's a her own person and very particular but you know he just really understands her and respects that but there's this idea of like you know without the whole hooker thing is is setting up the sort of value value distinction that is sort of not present in the novel where it's like you know bruno is kind of bitter about some things but in in some ways is like totally prepared to just like take on this this woman who is is involved in this like free love lifestyle well i mean the other thing is both Pretty Woman and She's All That are like Pygmalion stories. So it could have it, it could have just been a nod that like we we did just recreate Pretty Woman minus the, you know, minus the but like a cleaned up version thing. in a way. Yeah, like a the PG-13 version that you can take your 15 year old to. But I mean, but you're right. Like there is there is this like resignation. And then like, you know, I don't want to call it love because it doesn't really feel like real affection from with Bruno and Christian, but it it feels like he's resigned to the fact that this is the only comfort he'll be able to to get. This is you know he's at the end of the line. He squandered his other chances. Uh, maybe no other opportunities even existed. His descriptions of his ex wife are like totally like I mean stomach churning. Um, you know how he couldn't help but notice her cellulite when she squeezed into lingerie, and how he couldn't help but ogle teenagers. I don't know. I was like, I was very put off by that. Yeah. And like, she's all that you do get the impression like, wow, like, you know, Zach and, and Lainey have a love that will like transcend appearances and age and like they'll, they'll grow old together. Right. Yeah. One thing I was interested with the elementary particles is something that's not in she's all that is starting to recognize the sort of emergence of, you know, the sort of computer world where so one of the things going on with Bruno is that he's also caught up in these online sex chats. And then with Michelle, he he goes off in his like research program, and so it's described at one point about having these two huge crays built like towers whose control panels glowed in the darkness. Their millions of parallel processors were simply waiting to integrate Lagrangian models, wave functions, spectral analyses, hermite operators. This was the universe he would now inhabit, and so it's it's sort of looking ahead a bit to like you know the the expansion of the, of that world of like sex chats and like you know the the encompassing nature of like someone like you know Michelle going off and living off in this like kind of 
computer research world, but then that's, you know, where society is, is heading in a way. And, it, you know, it's a dynamic that choose all that doesn't really, you know, touch on it's it could be like culturally, it's it's very of the moment, but otherwise, it could be like, you know, almost in anywhere around that whole era. I feel like a lot of movies and like it took a long time so I, not even just movies in the 90s or the early aughts like in general it took a very long time for film to recognize this digital world and i think like part of it is it's just very hard to express visually so like they kind of had to ignore it as like a matter of practicality but i also think part of it is like you look at who's writing these films and who's directing them they're much older and what they do know is the spirit of youth but they don't really they're not really tapped into the nuances of how digital life has impacted us, where you could hire someone to, you know, give you the music and the fashion of the day and like throw in a, a couple of salient references like the real world. You can't, if you're not in touch with like the emotional element of cyberspace, you can't infuse that into your screenplay, like practical concerns about it being a visual element aside. Whereas like in, in the elementary particles, like one, it's a book, and then two, it, it's so it's so anchored in the problem of atomization. It would have been such an oversight not to include this emerging form of communication that is, you know, even then was seen as separating us from everyone else. Like if you think about how Usenet was viewed as early as like the late 80s. I mean, it was always viewed as like these people are misfits. This, you know, portends like terrible things for the future. Like these people are, are antisocial. They're cut off from the rest of us. God forbid this spreads. We'll all become these basement dwelling trolls. And of course that language is like a little bit over the top, but when it, what ends up happening, <laughs> exactly that sort of, you know, not to be so, so mean about it, but it does seem like that kind of alarmist view wasn't so far from the truth. Yeah. I mean, but there, so that you said the, um you know, it's the atomization, but it's also, there was in the 90s, this kind of like utopian element to like the idea of like the possibilities of personal computing and so on. And, you know, as as the inheritance of that, you know, hippie world that the two brothers are coming from. And, you know, what the is shown in the novel is the sense of like, you know, it's not really going to be this utopian world that brings everyone together but that mostly it'll just be used for you know things like bruno trying to you know chat with women and so on in between going to see prostitutes well it feels like the the utopian vision though is like somewhat separate and like it's i mean it it, the, the same i think is like true today like the techno optimist is like in a genre of its own, in a category of its own. And it's always like for every movement we're skeptical of, you have the other side of the coin. You know, there's people today who are, are, you know, very, very techno-optimistic. And then I feel like it was, you know, much of the same. And when it appeared in, especially like American cinema, it was was always uh, to make a story a little bit more colorful. And it was never really about the tech it was because it was somehow, you know, an exciting vehicle for, for storytelling, whether it's like, you know, over the top science fiction. But, it, you know, the, the Matrix came out the same year, too, which I would say is definitely not an, you know, a techno optimistic <laughs> film. Right. Yeah. This was actually like, there's almost like so much here, but I feel like it, I had, I had like a couple of notes. I don't think we need to go in, into them necessarily, but it, I feel like there's actually like so many similarities and, and so many points of comparison. It's almost like hard to discuss because there's just, there was just so much there. Yeah, for sure. There's, there's so much going on with these. And yeah, it was, it was a great conversation because it's like, I had mentioned the topic to a few people and sometimes the reaction was like that it sort of seems like a a weird combo, but it it really is, you know, just like these two visions of, of romance is like, you know, the most sort of basic surface level of it, but all these like, you know, very more minute points are are so fascinating around like the sort of family dynamics and how people change and how people sort of adapt themselves to these things and all of that. I, mean, I think also too, Welbeck's really like responding to media like She's All That, you know, which is dominating like novels and, and film. And they like, they both, again, like they both accept the same basic frame one is just saying embrace it it's great and the other is saying this is some bleak shit and life sucks and 
here's the most cynical expression of it available. Yeah, I saw. So I mean, maybe one, one less th- thing is this dynamic where so it describes at one point very early on, like though Michelle really plays with boys his own age, he gets along with his peers well enough. They consider him a bit of a loner, and it sort of just I don't know struck me that he's kind of like the male equivalent of what Lainey is supposed to be. But you know, obviously these these works have two very different visions overall, but the possibilities imagined for him are very different than like what is imagined for Lainey. I I would agree with that, but I think Lainey is much more Lainey's scared, I think, through most of the film. Um she's she's coming from a place of insecurity where I I feel like Michelle's just like, I don't know if he is autistic or, or what, you know, what's going on there. He's, he's very detached. And that detachment doesn't seem like it's through trauma necessarily. It does seem like he's just always been kind of dead inside, possibly through the neglect he experienced. Right, yeah. Maybe a, another interesting comparison then would be like, look at Lainey's brother who is presented as like a bit of a dweeb who ha- doesn't I don't know if he like is ever shown to have any friends and he's also like he's like skating around the cafeteria offering to like freshly grind people pepper and stuff ends up getting bullied and Zach steps in and helps him but I wish that I I found myself like wishing that Bruno had had a Zach because the bullying Simon experiences seems very similar all right yeah yeah yeah. Bruno is relentlessly bullied but yeah, the, the brother is i mean it's, it's interesting because he he's such a i feel like such a 90s like children's media character like that that kind of i don't i don't know what the best word for it but like this kind of uh dweebish boy who nevertheless is like full of energy and like you know just doing like kind of wacky stuff and i, I don't know it's, it's such a, a vastly different vision uh of that than than uh than Bruno where like you know Bruno is like it's shown as like these students are bullied and it's it's to the point where they'll like jump out of a multi-story window to get away from it whereas it's kind of I don't know softened a bit in the, the film where it's it's like he he's really not brought down by it exactly outside of like outside of the moment of actually being bullied we don't we don't really see that though. Like the the bullying he does experience is very, very brutal. And like, it's like even it's, it's supposed to be lighthearted, but even like I'm about to describe it now and I feel myself kind of like wanting to, to barf kind of, but like being made to eat pubes is like, is pretty extreme. And there is like a, an undercurrent of sadness in him. I mean, of course he's like presented as this sort of like, Bart Simpson style like you know skater kid that we saw all the time in the 90s but I think if the if the movie was even like slightly more dramatic or slightly had slightly more depth we would have seen the impact in in like a much a much more detailed way I think it's like the confines of like he's he's the b b story for all intents and purposes he's not you know he he gets like four minutes of screen time cumulatively if that that might be too generous but if you really take it for what it is i think what he's going through is super over the top and super scary yeah yeah i, was, I wasn't really quite sure what to quite make of, of his character because it's 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 very different from the way he handles his sort of social positioning is very different from laney who you know as you're saying she's scared throughout the the film and kind of closes herself off in a way and that's like the sort of main issue, not that she's like necessarily ugly, but that, you know, she's very overtly distancing herself from anything that would make her prom queen, for instance. But he's like, I don't know, you I mean, he's like trying to kind of like get up in everyone's face and, and make these connections. And it is, it is very kind of sad in a way, like not only that he's not successful, but that he's also then subject to intense cruelty. Yeah, I mean, I think he... He like kind of deifies Zach too, which I think is is interesting. I mean, they're both they're both actually kind of rejected in the same way if you think about it, because like on the one hand you have Simon who views Zach almost as a god. Like Zach gets his name wrong initially, and he's like, "Oh, he knows my name." And Lainey asks him, "Like that's not your name." Like he's simply acknowledging that you exist. Whereas we have this scene with Lainey and Taylor where she's like, "I've spent my whole life." avoiding parties like this and people like you and Taylor turns around and says no we've been avoiding you which I think is like 
I think that's a very like telling moment. Like there, there's two very different ways of coping. Neither of them are allowed in the in crowd. And one is coping by saying, well, I, I'm choosing to turn away. And the other is coping by desperately trying to get in. And to bring it back to the elementary particles, I mean, Simon and Lainey might exactly be the difference, Bruno and Michelle. Bruno is constantly trying to get in through sex and Michelle is completely detached and turns his back to it. Right, yeah. And, you know, he, he gets the relationship eventually, but it's it's very different vision than like, oh, you know, they come along and take off Michelle's glasses and now he's like this normal, you know, functioning person who's like, completely happy with the world yeah i mean his his relationship all i mean all of the relationship he's in he's just completely he doesn't seem to care at all i think they mention him caring for annabelle but like in both you know both instances of their relationships it seems like he's just waiting to die really like he doesn't do anything he doesn't show much emotion he's just there because he's there like not it doesn't even seem like he feels some kind of obligation to be there it's just like yeah, this is where life placed me. But I don't know. He has he has a weird sort of ambition, right? Where he he's he's doing very radical things, and but he also has this dynamic where it's like, oh, it's unheard of that he would take this break. But then he's also like learning these very deep ideas that ends up like you know completely changing the the course of the world. There's there's something really wild about like the culmination of the two stories where like one is like about finding this sense of love and then one is like about like he he so intensely embodies all like the flaws of his society that he like accelerates things to this kind of like completely dehumanized stage, like literally dehumanized. Well, I think like like Bruno ultimately ends up ineffectual because he in spite of everything keeps trying to find some kind of satisfaction or happiness and I actually again I think this might actually be the difference between Lainey and Simon again Lainey is this great artist and or like at least has her art Simon doesn't have any hobbies to speak of or that we're made aware of he's just kind of groveling for acceptance in the same way Bruno is and then Michelle has his has his science and then like of course you know like the difference being Lainey does you know does find love and does find this connection and then Michelle never does but because he's not obsessed with sex even though he has all these moments of of resignation and emptiness and not really doing anything and kind of just get getting through it he does accomplish something anyway. Right, yeah. So there's something to that dynamic of I don't I don't know the not getting caught up in being free of like the the sorts of sensuous desires. I think this is like kind of a trope, right? Like the you know the tortured artist who's kind of alone and they miss out on everything else but at least they create their art or like the businessman or, you know there's all these different expressions of it. And you know the the difference here is like usually you, it's because these other relationships like it's seen as more of a sacrifice I think usually whereas Welbeck sort of like smears it and says like this is decadent and like it, it's as it's as lonely to chase these relationships as it is to just outright ignore them and to literally be alone right yeah there's I mean there's so much going on with these dynamics between all these characters and like how they sort of fit into this society and this time that I think is so fascinating and and see us is very good to like you know work through both of these these works and and have this discussion so I wanted to you know thank you for coming on and, and doing this and I don't know if you if you have any sort of closing thoughts or like a passage you want to like sort of leave off on no you know I think that's I think that's it there's I you know things are like flooding my brain but let's let's <laughs> let's cut it off here it was really great and it was it was really fun to like consider she's all that in like a totally different way than I had before. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you you mentioned like when you first brought it up, you're like, is that too like unserious? But, you know, I mean, one is like, you know, even just in itself, it's like you could approach it very seriously. But I think it's very interesting bringing it in this, this context where it's like, you know, there, there really is so much going on there. And then like in within the context of everything else going on in the, the moment, in terms like media and, and such it's like it does have like such a distinct vision and structure and such to it yeah yeah i i, I, I totally agree with you i i'm on the fence about bringing this up because i don't want to like derail us as we're wrapping up but maybe this was like a suggestion to you another movie that i just was reminded of today that you might want to check out you know thinking of both of these works is pleasantville or 
like even the Truman Show. Like I think all of those, all of those, like those two two movies plus she's all that plus the elementary particles all together like make sort of an interesting picture of like what were people what were people thinking in the late '90s? What was what was on their mind and what did they? they feel was on on its way right yeah and, and as you mentioned before the matrix is also the same year and yeah i mean it's it's it's, it's a very like you know wild time sort of culturally and media wise and so on so definitely definitely want to delve more into this this moment in various ways but this the, this pairing i thought was definitely very rich one last thing to from the elementary particles to kind of leave things off on that i thought touches on this dynamic of you know obviously so we talked about the class thing earlier, right? And so like Zach and Lainey are from very different sort of worlds, even though they're in the same town and school and stuff. And that, that puts them in different directions, but they ultimately find this connection with each other. And there's this idea that comes up in the end of the elementary particles of like, if you clone people, you're just going to end up with this loss of genetic variance. And like, isn't that going to be bad? And so it says, um, to the notion that human personality was in danger of disappearing, he proposed the concrete example of identical human twins who, through their individual experiences and despite their shared genetic code, developed different personalities while maintaining a mysterious fraternity, which, as Hubis Jack pointed out, was exactly the element necessary if humanity were to be reconciled. And uh, yeah, that, that's such like a interest. Like I immediately disagreed with that line. <laughs> <laughs> in what way like that humanity should be reconciled in this way or that like it wouldn't matter if on like the a mass scale all humans were basically identical twins well it feels like he sort of like immediately contradicts himself right like humans do become like this like weird utopian you know other creature and it it you know it's not it's not said explicitly but it's it sort of feels like the a lot of the variance is lost because if you know part of the change you're making is removing a lot of the suffering then you know what is going to shape it? right right yeah because it, so it, it, it's it's presented in this paragraph as though what's going to cause this loss of personality is the loss of genetic variant when of course you know the the loss of human suffering or at least some classes of human suffering would of course change very much you know what sort of personalities people develop what sort of societies they develop and and so on. And yeah, I mean, it's it's a really interesting dynamic that, you know, it's also, I think, somewhat present in both works, but that there's this sort of growth through suffering. And it's it's odd because even, even in as bleak as the elementary particles can be at times, or, you know, most of the time, really, there is a sense of of um, ultimately that this anxiety around, like, they, they talk about Brave New World at one point, like, but like this idea of like getting to a point in society where too much suffering is smoothed over and how that's not exactly like a, a solution either, that it, it come, creates its own sort of problems, even if they're not really felt by humans in the same way. Yeah, like I they, like one concept that I really I'm really interested in and I really like a lot is like you can't know joy if you don't also know suffering. Like you you have to have both. You can't just have one. Right. And so what do you what do you make of is sort of in conclusion the sort of vision of she's all that like what what becomes of Zach and Laney? I I mean I often like anytime I I watch this movie I wonder like well how long do they stay together? How long after that graduation scene do they stay together? And you know, what does she take with her in her life after high school? Because she's still, pre- you know, the pretty version of herself at, in that final graduation. So is she is she forever changed? You know, does she ever go back to her old self? And do they stay together? Mm-hmm.